Welcome everybody to Lessons from the Top, a program that aims to inspire and educate the next generation through discussion with success successful people in many different fields. Today we have with us Richard M. Wise, a highly respected expert in business valuation and financial litigation with over 200 presentations across the U.S. and Canada. Mr. Wise has served in various leadership roles throughout his career, including as the president of the Canadian Institute of Chartered Business Valuators and as the international governor of ASA. Mr. Wise is also an accomplished speaker and has given expert court testimonies across the U.S. and Canada. In addition, he holds multiple professional designations and awards, including the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. Thank you for being with us uh, here, Mr. Wise. And, uh, My pleasure. To have this conversation. <clears throat> Amazing. So, uh, first off, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks uh, for asking. I'm very busy. A lot of things are happening in the world of business valuation for many different reasons, and uh, everything's fine, so thanks, as I say, thanks for asking. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, uh, what projects are you working on right now, um, what occupies your time, what are you currently doing in your day-to-day -day, uh, job? Well, first of all, I think it's important that we understand what business valuation is. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a field that's within the business world, the accounting world, the financial world, and uh, the litigation world. So anybody who's practicing as a business valuator these days has to get involved in all these various areas. So, um there's a lot of rapid changes in the technology and the business landscape, and I wanted to know what are the skills that are essential um, for success in the field of business valuation and financial litigation? Well, first of all, let me just say this, that, uh, and I could have added this to my previous uh, dissertation. Um, what I recognize is that intangible assets are usually the most valuable assets of a business, intangible, such as goodwill, such as intellectual property, patents, trade names, mark de commerce. These are these they're rarely, rarely reflected on a balance sheet. Rarely, but yet they are the most valuable assets of a business. And this is critical. And many people in the business world miss, miss that. So a buyer can maybe spot that a certain vendor has a lot of valuable intangible assets and certainly added to the buyer's intangibles, like one plus one equals three. The off-balance sheet, intangible assets that are not required to be on the balance sheet, either, either uh, under, under generally accepted accounting principles. They're not re even required to, but they're missed. They're not there. So when you look at the stock market and you look at the trading price of a stock, now, whether it's Apple and, and the major the major companies that are trading with all this valuable intangibles, 
when you look at the stock price and if you look at their accounting values, valer olive, sort of the bilan. There's no relationship, not at all. So if you have, I mean, whatever the company is, whether it's Verizon, you name it, but I think Apple is a good example. The stock market trading value reflects what investors believe the stock market price is, even though they're minority shares. Because when, as you know, when control of a company is acquired, a premium is paid over the stock market price because that's a minority price. So that's something that must be considered. The technology that's been developed by companies is reflected in their, not on their balance sheet, rarely, 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 even though the salaries they pay to the technical experts in the company are accounted for and they're booked, the value of the technology, of the patents, the, uh, the mark de commerce, all, all that, that's not on the balance sheet. So that's why the business valuator has to get into that and has to understand it. That's critical. And that's how the world has changed over the years. Because when I was at your stage studying all this, you, you didn't have, the, the only thing you basically had was off balance sheet was goodwill, achalandage. You didn't have all this high tech assets that were with the company. You didn't have all that. And it's only in the 70s and 80s and 90s when when companies were starting to recognize and some companies for accounting were writing up. They were increasing the value on the balance sheet provided that generally accepted accounting principles permitted that. So it's, look, this is very technical, technical stuff. But the business valuator has to get into all that. And I, you know, I've been involved in this for many, many years. I've lectured for many years. I've written a few books on this. And um, I lectured to the MBA course uh, at, at uh, Concordia. And then I lectured on this at the McGill Faculty of Law and in the United States. And um, everybody agrees that it's a very, very difficult area to get into, and you have to do a proper analysis. And as I say, at the very beginning, I started off by saying, value what? Identify what it is you're valuing, and what value? And uh, I'm going to go back again to say, valeur or propriétaire could be very different from fair market value. And the court cases and the Quebec Superior Court have all said this very clearly, where in a case called Donglass versus Jaroslawski Fraser, which is an existing consulting firm in Montreal now, in that case, 
the Quebec Superior Court affirmed by the Quebec Court of Appeal came out to a $36 a share juste valeur while la juste valeur marchande of the same shares exactly were something like $20 a share. Same shares, same shareholding, but juste valeur versus juste valeur marchande because of the definition that's has to be considered by the business evaluator. It's an important case because there's not a valuator in Canada that doesn't know this case. So I just want to... Sorry. Think, um, yeah, I know. I was going to say your tangible assets are just as important as... Tangible assets are, very, yes, are very important. Yeah. Well, look, a business comprises tangible assets <laughs> and intangible assets. Mm -hmm. Together, they make the business. Yeah. The tangible assets are... Furniture, equipment, buildings, les actifs tangibles. And usually they're on the books, sur le bilan, at their valeur au livre. So they're already, they're not reflecting the true value. It's the book value. They're the original cost minus l'amortissement, and you get net book value. But that has really often nothing to do with the value of the intangibles. The intangible assets are the, are the assets that drive the value of the business, the intangibles. That's where, like, you walk into an Apple store, walk in and say, look, there's like 25 employees there, just, like, just to go into the store. And you have this intangible value of, I, I use Apple because it's a, it's a fantastic example, or other assets, everything else being the same, but the name attached to it means so much. People go back. Uh, the name of a Placeville Marie, we're, we're sitting in Placeville Marie. Well, that has a lot of intangible value. Somebody that said, you know, uh, my office is in Placeville Marie. You know, oh, well, you know, it's not uh, way out in uh, Lille or somewhere. It's, with no, no insult to that. I'm just saying, you're in the heart of Montreal, business district. But tangible assets, the importance of tangible assets to the value of a business enterprise is that the higher the tangible assets, which is called in English, tangible asset backing, the less risk to the business. So if you have a lot of tangible assets supporting the value of the business, that's worth more than if you didn't have that. So for example, if you have, a, let's say a bilan, and the total assets of the business are worth a million dollars. Tangibles, intangibles, a million dollars. And the tangibles are worth 700,000, and the intangibles are worth 300. Not an unusual situation. 
there's less risk to that business than if you have a million dollar business across the street where you have 200,000 tangible and 800,000 intangible. Same grand total value, but one has a $700,000 tangible asset backing. The other has only 200. If there had to be all of a sudden an emergency liquidation, the liquidator would get money for the tangibles pretty quickly. You have an auction. But the intangibles, you got to find a buyer. Is it that easy? It may be more difficult to negotiate. The buyer is going to be tough to deal with. So you take into account the mix of the tangibles and the intangible assets. Together they make the value of the business. So um, it's like a home. The very same home in, at the top of Westmount. Very same, everything the same, same architects, same, 100% the same. A home on the top of Westmount is worth more than a home in, say, and I, I'm just going to say, for example, uh, Boucherville. Nice area, everything's nice. But it's a matter of fact that the price per square foot of land in Boucherville is not as high as the top of Westmount. I've seen valuations of homes in Westmount where the owner said, Monsieur or Madame Evaluator, give me a separate valuation report on the value of my land only. I just want to have it, the value of my land. So Royal Lepage or Century 21 went ahead and did it and did a report for the value of the land only because the houses were the same and everything else. And I've seen that myself. So one will pay a premium for intangible assets, goodwill, Mercedes automobile. There's a higher premium because of Mercedes than say for a, a Hyundai or a Nissan or some other car, nothing against it, but a Mercedes has a higher premium that people are prepared to pay. So they can say, I drive a Mercedes. You drive a Mercedes? You drive a Mercedes? No, I don't drive a Mercedes. Okay. Well, you guys will. But I'm just saying that, um, so there are, there are differences. And it's an intangible value it's trademark value. Take the accounting firms, PwC, KPMG. They have a certain value because their signature on a statement or on a report with the regulator carries a lot of weight. So uh, these things, and, and they charge, <laughs> they charge fees based on that. Intangible value, I keep on coming back to intangible value is the biggest driver of a business and it's the least, it's the, the lowest item reflected on any financial statement that's prepared under generally accepted accounting principles and audit, and stamped audited by the 
by the uh, verificator de societe. That they, that's, that's what that is. What is one of uh, common misconception about business valuation or financial litigation uh, that you want you know, a young and a professional entering the field to know about? Well, I would say that there's no valuation, business valuation, that could be done by way of a formula. One must stay away from formulas. In other words, you can't look at a financial statement and say, oh, okay, I'm going to apply a multiple to, or a capitalization rate, which is the same as the multiple, of so many times the earnings. You can't, you can't just do that. There's a big analysis that must be performed. You can't just apply, and people tend to do it, and I've taught valuation for over 25 years, and I can tell you the tendency is for the students to apply a formula. There is no formula. People will say, oh yeah, this kind of business, 10 times the earnings equals the value of the business. No, there could be all kinds of things. You get 10 times earnings. The earnings have to be adjusted. They have to be normalized. What if the earnings include profits, sorry, uh, transactions known at distance? That may not, that, you may have a, a distorted figure. W what if you have your, the company's paying rent to the owner of, of the owner of the building, and there's the same person as the owner of the company. You have a loyer known at distance. You have to adjust it. Everything has to be adjusted on an arm's length basis at distance, because the buyer of the company is assumed to be arm's length, a stranger, not compelled to transact fully informed. So uh, one must stay away from formulas. There's no formula. It's got to be thought out. Now, I want to just caution you that sometimes a formula could be used to verify, to test your conclusion saying, okay, I did my valuation, I looked at this, I looked at that, I checked, for example, the uh, tangible assets, I checked the insurance policy, is that reasonable vis-a-vis -vis the insurance policy? Um, I checked the salary the owner's taking, it seems reasonable based upon other businesses in the same field. I looked at all that, and uh, now I'm going to uh, apply a test. I'm going to look at other companies other companies in the business or other transactions. So I'm going to check my results, my value that I arrived at against other transactions that took place in the market to see whether, you know, I'm applying a smell test. Does it smell right or does it not smell right? So that's something one must do. And does it make sense? Does it make good common sense? I had a judge who I invited to be a speaker at one of our 
as a, as a conferencier at one of our, uh, we had a session at the Sheraton Mount Royal. So it was the Honorable Justice Pierre Michaud. So he was the guest speaker and he was sitting beside me and we had a bunch of people at the Sheraton Center, Santa de Sheraton. And um, his subject was going to be business valuation and the courts. Because the courts, there's so many, so many litigation aspects of business valuation. For example, shareholder disputes, and then I'll come back to Justice Michaud. Shareholder disputes, income tax. And all these cases are reported. It's public information. Shareholder disputes, you can go to what's called Canli, C-A-N-L-I-I, click on Quebec, click on Cour Supérieure, and you get a bunch of cases vis-à-vis -vis shareholder disputes or dommage intérêt. Same principles apply. Or family law, divorce. Quebec Superior Court, divorce cases. The husband says, I got no money, my business is not worth anything, and the lawyer for the wife says, yeah, right. And you get all the information, and then there's an examination, or court, and then there's a great trial, and you see often the husband, when the business valuator acting for the wife asks questions and asks for documents, and prepares an expert report, an expertise, you can see the husband's worth a little more than what he suggests and things like that. So you have courses, uh, uh, cases that you could, excuse me, that you can get by uh, online. Then you can look under the Tax Court of Canada. At Tax Court of Canada reports cases where the taxpayer says my business is worth X dollars and the FISC, the Canada Revenue Agency, says, oh yeah, right, it's worth much more than that. So when you give your son or your employee certain shares and you pretend the shares are only worth X dollars, they're worth much, much more than that. And the matter goes before a judge of the Tax Court of Canada. And then you have competition law that comes into play and different expropriation law where the city takes your property. And you say, well, wait, I want to get paid the juste valeur for my property. And well, we're giving you that. Oh, no, you go before the court and the court will determine what the property is really worth so that the person whose property is expropriated is paid or reimbursed property. Now, coming back to Justice Michaud, Chief Justice Michaud, the first few words he got up at the Centre de Sheraton says, Mesdames, Messieurs, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm honored to be, you know, the nice opening. And he said, but the first thing I want to tell you, I, the Honorable Justice Pierre Michaud, Chief Justice of the Quebec Superior Court, is this. I, as Chief Justice, uh, a uh, mes collègues, 
the other judges, we will lose faith in you, business evaluators. And these were all these were all experts in evaluation d'entreprise who are sitting in the audience. It was my organization. We are going to lose faith in you if we are listening to a case, adjudicating a case, and one business evaluator with the same formation, the same training, the same opportunity to tour the business enterprises of, of the, the company, the same input, and has all that and does an analysis and comes out with a conclusion. Une fourchette entre X et Y And the other business valuator, même formation, same this, same that, same interviews, same everything, and comes up with another, another fourchette, totally, totally, totally different. Three times the amount of the other one. How do you think we, as members of the, on, on the bench, are going to think of your profession when we have your professionals giving an opinion, an unqualified opinion, la fourchette concernant le, le juste valeur marchande des actions émises, des actions ordinaires émises. How do you think, what are we, and we listen to your evidence. And you both get up on the stand and, oh, yes, oh, we, oui, votre seigneurie, blah, 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 blah. Get your act together. Okay? Less subjectivity. And the, and the most important thing I can leave with you, gentlemen, is apart from the valuation principles to be applied, value what, what value, what standard of value, all these things, when it comes to litigation, and the, the biggest change in our profession is experiment evaluation of the priest is the biggest thing is that whatever we're doing, with all the work we're doing, um, the, the trend of our profession now has become largely driven by litigation. So it used to be in the early 1970s, before your time, that it was for taxation, for transactions, transaction known at distance, purchase and sale. Look, the trend since the early 1970s, we were founded in 1970, our group 7071. The major, major changes is that most of our evaluators, most of my confrères and consoeurs in Canada and the United States were involved in litigation, in valuation for purposes of litigation. And in that regard, we have two main things to watch for. One is a duty to the court to be honest, not to be a hired gun, to be independent. That's critical. There are some very, very prominent 
business valuators who the courts have found were being advocates for their client. And the judgment, and the judge said, Monsieur so-and-so or Madame so-and-so was not independent, was not neutral, was not professional. And the l'opinion rejeté. Those valuators never testified again. How can you get up on the stand and the opposing lawyer is going to say, oh, Monsieur so-and-so, are you the same Monsieur so-and-so who Monsieur le juge called Oh, oh, really? I don't know if this court wants to listen to your opinion. There are cases like that. Independence and honesty and objectivity are fundamental. And the other thing is a duty to the client. Yes, that's your client. And yes, you're going to be paid for by that client. And you're going to prepare a report commissioned by the client or the client's lawyer. You're going to work with the lawyer. You must never allow the lawyer's opinion with great respect for the lawyer. The lawyer's well-educated, well-trained. It's got to be your opinion, the opinion of the business valuator on the value of the business or the shareholding, la participation in the business or the joint venture interest, whatever it is. It's got to be your opinion as valuator of what the, the fair market value or fair value of that is. Your opinion, not the lawyer's opinion. The lawyer is the advocate. The lawyer is going to argue for his client or her client. Yes, good. That's, that's what he's getting paid for. But it's your opinion. And I've resigned from files saying... Monsieur l'avocat, in my broken friendship, I'm not going to come to that conclusion. It doesn't make good sense. It doesn't make good sense. Any way you want to look at it, it doesn't make good sense. Because the lawyer wanted a certain conclusion, and I said, I've got my reputation. That's what I'm being hired for. So please, the lawyer, and, and, we never, never, ever, ever, and it, so you'd be disbarred, accept a fee, professional fee, which we call a contingent fee. If any of you were, let's say, business evaluators and uh, accredited, certified, agree, would accept a fee based on, let's say, oh, okay, the client, you get 10% of that, you'd never practice again. Finished. So, you know, if you say, oh yeah, okay, I'll get my, my account in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, just put it there. You can't do that kind of stuff. So what I'm saying is we, we have a duty to the court, we have a duty to the client, we have a duty to our profession, and it's got to be well balanced and well thought out. I know I've been going on and on and on, but I've, I've lived with this for around 40, 40 years. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah, George, you yeah. could ask the two. Uh... Yeah. 
Um, thank you for that, by the way. That was a very I'm sorry? Thank you for that, by the way. That was very valuable information. Look, it's my pleasure. Anytime you want. I, I, I was hoping to be responsive, but sometimes, you know, I put myself in the shoes of saying, oh, maybe this is what they want to hear. I don't know exactly what you want to hear, but I've been living with this for a long, long time. And um, it's a great profession. My doors are open all the time to ask any questions. Uh, you want to have another podcast if you want it to be a little le less time, that's okay too. So, um, yeah. thank you for the opportunity of... Thank you. Thank you for being here. So, uh, you know the one to... Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, we can ask the last, uh, last two questions. Yeah, that's good. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about your certifications. So um, with so many designations and certifications to your name, um, what, what role do you believe that uh, certifications and nominations play in the ongoing professional development of an individual when it comes to succeeding in the business world? And what advice would you give to a professional, um, a young professional, uh, on continuing their education uh, for their professional growth? Well, if we're talking about the business world, it could be the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, my, one of my most recent valuations was in Kiev, Ukraine. I wouldn't go there now. <laughs> and Belgrave and London, like I do work around the world. But I'm just saying that if it's a Canadian, I'm assuming a Canadian, maybe Quebec-based business evaluator, um, I think it's important to get the CBV uh, 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 designation. That's very important. The CBVs got, have the highest, as do the Americans, the American Society of Appraisers, but the CBV designation to me is fundamental. It has the credibility, it's got the requirements that are very stringent. It's got also a concentration from the CPA the profession as well. So most of the CBVs in Quebec are also comptable professionnel agréé. They go well together. Those to me are the most important. The others, you know, you can go in the States and get the AAA. You can go to England and get the uh, RICS. You don't need them. But the CBV, CPA, I would definitely recommend that. And um, there's also certain reciprocity that if you have a CBV and you apply for an, an A, I said AAA, I meant ASA, ASA, it's easier to get an ASA if you have a CBV. So, uh, but I would definitely get the CBV. And, and as a past president, I'm very proud of the CBVs. And um, that would be my, my advice. Uh, they're a very good group. And the study program of the CBVs are difficult to match. I mean, they. You name it, and you're learning, you know, uh, all kinds of finance and commercial law and bankruptcy law, taxation law. It's a terrific program, and the, it's, 
It used to be CICBV.ca, and now I think it's the CBV Institute. Click on that, and um, their educational program, their standards, um, really, really terrific. That, that, that's and it's and it's a it's a great profession. Look, I mean, I've been a CPA since 1965. My father was a CPA since 1931. So I'm just thinking. So I, I I grew up in the in the profession, and it's a very challenging and good and a profession that makes you think, and meet interesting people and be exposed to interesting challenges. So. Um, Anyways, I said, uh, feel free to call me anytime, write me anytime, whether it's on LinkedIn or just uh, just on you know uh, on the on the internet anytime. My my uh, rmlesage at hotmail.com is my email address. So interesting. Yeah. So thank you for that. We're gonna end off uh, this episode with one last question. Um, so, throughout your career, you've worked with many different uh, people. Is there anyone in particular who's had a, a significant impact uh, on your work? And what qualities did they possess that made them such an inspiring colleague or partner to work with? Can you hold for a second? I'm just going to phone my wife who's waiting outside for me, and uh, I don't mind. Just for a second. And if you want to record her call, that's okay. No, no. I mean, look. <laughs> We're going to cut it. We're going to cut it afterwards. No, no, I want to answer. I just want to just tell her, there's no problem at all. Listen, she puts up with me, eh? Ready. So, you can maybe ask the question again. And, uh, the last question. And, and after that, that's going to be, uh, I'm going to close off. Whatever, whatever's good for you guys. We're here, so whatever's good for you. Good. Yeah, so amazing. So, throughout your career, You've worked with many different people and you've had all these experiences with these different people. Is there anyone in particular who's had a significant impact on your work and what qualities did they possess that made them such an inspiring or uh, like very educational colleague to work with? Yes, my, you may, you may not expect this answer, but the one professional who's had the biggest impact on my work um, was my father. I mentioned uh, he was a comptable uh, professional agrier, but very, uh, and I worked for him in getting my CA designation or my CPA days. I worked for him, and he taught me the uh, ethics, the honesty, uh, being thorough about giving an opinion. Don't just shoot from the hip. Make sure it's objective, well thought out, um, properly researched. Um, he himself, that's the way he ran his practice in Montreal. <clears throat> he graduated from McGill University with a commerce degree and a medal in 1929, set up his practice, 
Um, his standards were the highest. Nothing left his office without his looking at it, being satisfied that um, the statements and conclusions and the work that was done uh, were uh, were correct and um, supportable. Um, honesty, very important. Objectivity and um, his own confreres recommended that because he was on the council of C CPA Quebec and he was on the um, the discipline committee of CPA Quebec and um, was involved in uh, politics and just as a footnote when Pierre Elliott, Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau ran for a member of parliament in the 1960s, in 1965, in the Mount Royal Riding as the official liberal candidate. My father ran as the progressive conservative candidate against Pierre Elliott Trudeau in 1965 and he was nominated by the Conservative Party because of my father's high standards and ethics and everything else. So that had the biggest influence on me. I hope I answered your question. You answered it very well. Thank you. Perfectly. So again, thank you very much for having us uh, today. Yeah. Um, thank you for being here, taking your time. My pleasure. You really explained a lot, and we learned a lot. I'm pretty sure all three of us yeah, learned a lot. A, uh, and I hope people watching are learning too uh, throughout this uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one, guys.